You're listening to episode eight of the Happy Space podcast. Today, I'm chatting with prolific productivity pioneer and inspiring HSP, Harold Taylor. Welcome to the Happy Space podcast, a place where highly sensitive people thrive. Not only will we learn how to better navigate life with our superpowers, we'll find ways to better manage the challenges too. We'll hear from product and service innovators, space designers, and leaders who believe in creating an inclusive, neurologically safe world. If you're highly sensitive or want to better understand and support someone who is, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Claire Kumar, and I'm so very happy you're here. As you probably know, I want to bring you stories of highly successful, highly sensitive people, people that have an evidence of using their key elements of of high sensitivity, the superpower side in their professional journey and towards their personal success as well. And so I'm delighted to introduce to you, if you haven't already met, the fabulous Harold Taylor. Now, I've known Harold for many years now. I followed him at first when I was joining the organizing and productivity profession, and this is back in the mid-2000s. And, uh, you know, he's really been illustrious in both the organizing and productivity space, but also as a speaker. So when I had an opportunity to dig into Harold's YouTube collection, my oh my, he's, he was a really incredible example of bringing education and entertainment together. Uh, he's, you're going to love meeting him. Harold has an over 45-year business history. He's in his 80s now, and uh, you'll hear how old he feels uh, if, you, if you tune in. He's written 20 hardcover, over 20 hardcover books, including a Canadian bestseller, Making Time Work for You. He has 50 products sold in over 38 countries. Right now, I think he's on book number 40 with Book Boon, which is doing a digital books. So ever the prolific creator. He's also won numerous awards. Back in back in two or sorry, 1999, he was a past director of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Some of you may know me from that association and my work as the podcast host of Stand Out. And uh, further to his receiving the award in 1999. In 2001, he received the Founders Award from the Canadian Association, the Professional Organizers in Canada. And I hold this organization dear to my heart and uh, also Harold, because in 2013, well after the award was renamed in his honor, I won the 2013 Harold Taylor Award. So this is uh, proudly in my home. And uh, that's just a little bit of our connection. So why Harold? Why am I bringing him to you? Because he's just a a wonderfully exciting example of embedding purpose in your life, following your curiosity, standing in your strengths, and deliciously creating valuable work for the rest of the world. So I encourage you to tune into this this episode. You'll meet Harold. He's delightful. You'll fall in love with him, I believe, as I did. And uh, you'll probably learn a thing or two along the way. Enjoy the show. 
Today's episode of the Happy Space Podcast is sponsored by ClaireKumar.com. Not only am I excited to spearhead the Happy Space movement, I love coaching busy professionals to achieve greater productivity and well-being. The two go hand in hand. I also adore taking the stage. If you're looking for an interactive, engaging event to inspire and invite action, whether it be on successful work-life integration, sustainable performance, organization and productivity, or expanding inclusivity, please visit clairekumar.com and find out more. Oh, and if you haven't already joined the Happy Space Pod, it's our complimentary online community. You'll find it right at clairekumar.com slash happy space. Oh, Harold, thank you so much for joining me. I've followed your career and uh, it's been such a robust career. I mean, you've been an icon in the organizing and productivity industry, an icon in the speaking industry as well. And it really struck me that we were talking for the other podcast that I host that, oh my gosh, you indeed might be highly sensitive. And so I've invited you to reflect on that over the past few weeks, months. And right now I'm really interested in, in this reflection on your really robust career to look at this trait of high sensitivity and the different ways it shows up from the sensitivity we experience to the deep empathy, to that incredible emotional responsiveness and to that deep processing, which I can sense there are elements of throughout your entire career and I wonder if you'd share with us some of the connections that you might have made after realizing that high sensitivity is a thing and it's it's been there all your life. Yeah, well, uh, yes, looking back on in retrospect, <laughs> uh, uh, because I was un unaware of it at the time, of course, that uh, that's the way people came across, you know, why they're uh, so critical of me and <laughs> so on. Uh, because I was sensitive in that way, in that regard, uh, as I say, even as, even as a, a child, but, uh, I didn't know what was happening. And, uh, as I, as I got older and I got involved in working and stuff, I thought, uh, I, I thought, wow, and, you know, I, I don't know, I, I was able to pick up things. I thought that, uh, others didn't seem to be aware of that, that he'll never go along with that proposal. What are you talking about? He's saying something such, he's just saying that to be polite. <laughs> right. And, and and you get those kind of uh, uh, feelings from him. Like, you know, he's not really, hasn't got his heart in it or something. It's just, uh, he's just using the words, you know, to make us feel good. But yeah. I think he's got probably got some other suppliers in mind kind of thing. And yeah. I, that, that uh, I don't know. I, I just thought it was everybody had that, you know, <laughs> and uh uh, you know, having empathy with some people, I'm saying, wow, he's, he's, he must have been having problems at home because, uh, that there's something else on his mind that he's not certainly with us here at this, in this meeting and that kind of thing as well. So, uh, they happened and, uh, and, uh, myself, of course I was, you know, sensitive to how other people thought of me as well. And I know I was started off being a very introverted child, uh, very shy and, and, and reserved. And, uh, as I got into, uh, 
speaking, like you've seen my, my uh, presentation <laughs> on YouTube, uh, I go, wow. And uh, my, my wife called me a Jekyll and Hyde. She says, you know, I can't believe you. I mean, you're sitting at a party not saying anything. And then all of a sudden you're up there making a fool of yourself and people are laughing and having a great time. What? Uh, and uh, they couldn't, uh, you know, just thought it's not in keeping with your character because I was very, uh, very shy and reserved. Like, you know, introvert. I not outspoken, you know, like, mm -hmm. like yeah. Yeah, but if I, I have to encourage listeners to check out Harold's videos on YouTube. We'll put a link in the show notes for sure, because absolutely inspiring to marry the deep knowledge that you had, but in a really engaging way to, to help those messages translate and to keep that audience riveted. Yeah, well, that was uh, actually purposeful because uh, people said... Uh, like I joined NSA and Zone and, uh, and CAPS and those organizations, speaking organizations and stuff and picked up ideas and so on. And they said, if you're going to do something, I guess this was in the States and NSA, uh, find out what everybody else is doing and do it differently. Mm. And, and so I thought, well, time management seminars to me are pretty boring, you know, because <laughs> you're just droning on and on and on and falling asleep. And, uh, so I thought, but how am I going to get up there and be, be humorous? So I would, uh, that was, that's when I got over my shyness, I guess, for that part, because I just rehearsed it in my mind. I just thought I can visualize now what I'm, that I'm up there speaking and here's what I'm saying. And I sort of went over it in my mind again and again, as if I was actually doing it. And I think I was actually rewiring my brain at that point, you know, according to this is what the, the people in all these brain books that are behind me would be, would be saying anyway, and I'm, uh, I'm rewiring it, but I was rewiring it for, for my presentation on purpose, I guess, you know, but then I started being coming out more that way, you know, as I, as I got into speaking and, and seminars and stuff, I became more confident and, and. I thought, wow, what happened to this shy kid? Well, you'll see him at a party. I'm probably still sitting back in the, in the corner, not saying too much, you know, even now, uh, I don't, but then they say, Harold, I hear you're a such and such. Tell us about the so-and-so. Well, then I'd take over, you know, I, I come out and start and start speaking. So I could never do that before as a child, but I can, I can do it yeah. now. I'm, I've got my confidence back, I think. You know, in that yeah, you're talking about an evolution to, and, and to me, what I'm hearing is an alignment with a purpose, Yeah. right? When there was purpose, there was motivation to then find a way to do this. And you, you developed a whole other way of being on stage or whenever, even when, whenever you're connected to sharing something of value. Is, yeah, that, and, is that right? And the thing is, I'm, I'm not conscious of it, you know, being mm. uh, like I'm enjoying it. You know, I don't feel I'm forced, forcing myself now. Right. Uh, it's just natural. And then I get the feedback from the audience and they encourage me, you know, because they're laughing and having a great time and everything else. And they say, gee, I wish I could do that. Are you kidding? You know, I, I, I remember joining Dale Carnegie and I sat in the back of the room hoping they wouldn't see me, you know. Yeah. And the big, big deal was when they asked me in business, 
when I was working for American Standard, I went to a seminar, a, a speech, and they said, oh, Howard, how would you like to thank the speaker, Harold? Well, you kidding? I didn't even know what he spoke about. I was so nervous. And, and I thought, you know, and uh, I can't do that, you know. Yeah. So it's so interesting because you don't forget that moment where you were asked. Did, uh, and did you speak? Did you thank the speaker? I did thank the speaker. Yes. Good for you. I remember still being six years old and being asked at the church choir to sing boop, boop, be doop to the rubber ducky song. And I was like, no, 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 no. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't have my voice stand out. And I've, I've, that's haunted me for far too long. It's like, wait a second, when you get an opportunity, who do you need to be and what do you need to build in terms of skills yeah. and comfort? And what do you need to align with to have that motivation to then, I call it dancing through discomfort. Do you know, so, so I, I'm really curious about this because part of this podcast is around highly sensitive person empowerment and your journey from shy, introverted person to being still introverted but someone who can find their voice and use it really so well. Do you remember back to the motivation or what hooked you into, I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm going to crack this nut and I'm going to be that different speaker on stage. And wow, everybody, I mean, the accolades and awards that you've won are, are numerous. So do you remember what give you, gave you the motivation to become different? Yeah. I, I don't know if I do or not. Uh, it's just something that I, I really wanted to do. You know, I said, I got, in fact, I, my first business was association management where we hired speakers to come all the time. And I'd be hiring these speakers that come up from the States and charging $3,000 and $5,000 for a talk. And that's a long time ago. Yeah. And I thought, my gosh, you know, uh, I know one of the behavioral scientists, uh, I don't want to put anybody down or mention names, but it was, you know, Frederick Hertzberg <laughs> and his motivation theory. I remember somebody saying uh, from the back of the room, uh, Dr. Hertzberg, we can't hear you back here. I have trouble hearing you back here, I think is what he said. And he did, he's sitting on a stool and he said, isn't it? Oh, that's too bad. I, I have a hard time hearing you from up here too. And I thought, wow, here's a guy we're paying $5,000 for sitting there and being flippant like that too, you know? Yes. And, and when I saw other speakers, I said, gee, I could do that. You know, I've taught at Humber College, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, and I was okay there. So why can't I, you know, speak? So I did uh, decide, by golly, I, I'm going to become a, a, a public a speaker, public speaker. Mm. And so I started small. I was started with five people, you know. Limited to 10 people or limited to five people. So it would be around the corner. And I read a, a few books on it said, just speak like you're talking to somebody, but you might just talk a little louder because, you know, you got more, uh, five people you're talking to or something. That's about it. And so I did that. And it was a gradual process. I didn't have too much humor at the start. Mm -hmm. But then when somebody was said, when I, when I did make a, a flippant comment or something, they'd They'd laugh, you know, and I said, oh, that sounds kind of good. That's kind of good feedback. So I gradually built those things in. Yeah. And even that, that flagship uh, process where, they, where I'm up there, you know, role-playing a disorganized person. Yeah. I, I would make a mistake and they'd, make a, they'd laugh at it. 
And I thought, oh, next time I'll put that in. So, <laughs> so, so, so happy accidents happened there. Happy they? accidents. So yeah. I, I, I got involved in building this thing, you know? I'd, yeah. I'd say, hey, I had a life and I had a wife and, and four kids. Oh, five. I forgot about Jason. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, they'd roar and laughing because I'm, you know, I was so disorganized. I couldn't even remember how many kids I had, you know, cause that's, that's in keeping with what. That's I'm. so, that's so great. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So listeners, really, you've got to check out the humor, but it's striking me now as I, as we talk about humor. So you noticed, you were noticing things, the expertise in time management and productivity, bringing all that to an audience. But I also think this creativity around connecting dots because humor, there's truth in humor and humor comes from connecting dots and presenting it back in a, in, in a different way. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You have to see how people react and you know what mm -hmm. they're doing. And all of a sudden you see, my God, you know, a lot of people, what they tend to do is, and you know, I noticed in a supermarket, my gosh, look at them changing lines. Remember we used to have a queue for each one. And they'd change and go to one line and then they, they'd, you know, and, and then, and then another, uh, person would open a cashier and they'd run over to there or something, you know, and everybody, everybody would run over there. So they'd be back and next, they'd be back yeah. four spaces still. And yeah. So yeah, that's right. And that's how I picked up all my humors from what people are actually doing. And then I'd role play it myself as if I'm the fool, you know, and, uh, they're laughing. Oh, they'd say. You know, they're laughing and yeah, they do the same thing themselves. So it did help me a lot, you know, being perspective, uh, uh, you know, perceptive and. and yeah. And that, I think that high sensitivity is a play in, in connecting those dots and then, you know, your personality and natural ability to, to express that just was cultivated and you, and you became, you became more comfortable as a speaker, weaving in all of this, the humor and the stories and, and that response you were getting then was encouraging. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. then we're, we're bonding with the audience and, you know, they, yeah. they were, they're with me, you know, so yeah. no longer saying, you know, don't, uh, you know, last one picked for a hockey team and stuff like that. They, they want to pick me first now. <laughs> right. What a transition, right? So yes. I love that. I love that it was a decision. I'm like, I want this, I'm going to go get it. And you know, it and a slow evolution. And that's anybody's journey on building skills and becoming something more. So um, listeners tune into that because that's a, that's a gem right there. But, and, and I want to harken back to, so uh, some of the challenges that you experienced, I mean, being picked last at school, I <laughs> totally relate to that. I was not the, you know, until I found tennis, a single sport, a single player sport, or if with doubles at one other partner, but not being the weak link on a team, that was never, that was never you know, somewhere I, I wanted to hang out. That's right. I had some real drawbacks as a, as a, as a child, you know, like I, um, I remember for basketball, they used to have, uh, for practices, I joined the high school basketball team and they, uh, on practices, they'd say, okay, uh, we're going to have, they call them skins and shirts. So the ones with, uh, uh, you, 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 you take off your shirts. You're the skins team and you're the sweat, you're the shirts team. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a, like, I still have it. It's like a pigeon chest. They call it. I was guessing from having rickets when I was a kid. Oh, uh, they said, it's either that, or it was when you were getting beat up by that other kid, you know, but yeah. I, I found it later. Every time I saw a doctor, he said, Oh, I see you've had rickets. 
and uh, it, it's normally in the chest, deformed bone structure, and yeah. it's uh, mainly in the chest or the hip, you know, uh -huh. so I had in the chest. And I was so self-conscious of that because one, you know, one chest bone stuck out more than the other. And I, you know, I'm like this, you know, I don't want to, you know, show yeah. it. And I had that, oh, I'm so sensitive of that. Of that. And yeah. Uh, whereas, heck, I, as I grew up then I became more, more confident than I said, well, look, you know, nobody's perfect, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, it's, so it's interesting. Yeah. Because we can hold on to shame and feeling last time my my big hang up was my nose i was just i was sure was this huge and my mom has a really robust nose as well so i was just i just thought that's all that everybody saw was my nose and then maybe my feet which are also oversized i don't know something about my bones were really long i have the same size hands i'm five foot four and change and i have the same length hands almost as my my love who's 6 foot 1 it's like it's weird right but we we hold on to those things and they can they can limit us they can hold us back until we become confident and there's a, i think there's an evolution in life hopefully towards that and then we can yeah. really unleash and shine right yeah same with glasses oh yeah you know, I, I i had trouble seeing the blackboard and i'd sit on the front row in school uh and then she'd ask me, I still couldn't see it from the front row. Right. And, uh, and uh, she'd say, say uh, do you know the answer to this, uh, Harold? And I said, no, you know, right. or I right. guess at it or something. Yeah. And uh, she thought, well, that's strange. He's doing okay in his exams, you know? So I guess she said, do, uh, do, you, do you have uh, trouble seeing the board? Well, not really, but why don't you get your eyes tested? We'll send you down to the yeah. nurse's office and you get your eyes tested. I found out I needed glasses, you know? And so I'm yeah. so self-conscious. I wouldn't wear my glasses. And, yeah. And that kind of thing, because I'm, I'm hypersensitive that way, yeah. physically. You know, yeah. I'm four foot 11. Why can't I be five foot, you know, when I'm <laughs> in high school and I'm still not five foot high, you know? Oh, yes. <laughs> so those kind of things really bother me. Physical things uh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and being sensitive to criticism, you know, uh, and that was hard to get over too. Even when my in my speeches, I think I mentioned at one time that, you know, if I got a thousand people, you know, uh, evaluating me, and I got one that said, you know, something negative, yeah, and I thought, you know, that would bother me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think in general human nature, we pay attention to the yeah. to the one bad review, but with the highly sensitive person, deep thinking processes, and we can latch onto that and slide into rumination, well, which can, yeah. can kind of bring us down. Yeah. What I say now, I look and I said, wow, a thousand people in this, and they're all pretty sensible people. And this one guy is, is so, uh, upset about something or depressed or in a bad mood or something that he had to put, transfer it onto me and put down the, the, I am a terrible speaker. You know, yeah. you know, to get out of his system, he'll take it on on me. Yeah. So you reframed. So I reframed that person. Yeah. 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 God, what do you mean? I'm, I'm the one out of a thousand that's bad. No, you know, it, 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 that person's the one out of a thousand. I got 999 in my favor. Yeah. Yeah. So now can you visualize 999 <laughs> people cheering and one yeah. kind of cranky person in the corner who's just, just not, it's really about where they are in that moment. And so that's a, that's a beautiful reframe. It's interesting. I think, is it Brene Brown says, you know, don't take criticism unless you're in the ring. 
So, you know, I think of, I think of the speaking community and I've been a member of CAPS now for about five years, maybe coming to six. And there's feedback from people who are in the game that I will really listen to. I'll be, I'll be going out. Can you give me, you know, what might've, right. what might've been something that could be more creative or landed better or more sensitive to the, to the audience. But if someone doesn't know too, then there's, do you really want to weigh, uh, you know, hold that feedback in high esteem? Maybe not. Yeah. 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 So you've overcome a lot of that. You've, you've sort of developed some reframing to deal with that sensitivity and uh, minimize the the hurt feelings that come out of it. What happens now today? Do you feel like you've evolved in your ability to handle the the struggle part of being highly sensitive, the potential overwhelm to overstimulation, the the overthinking piece of it? What what kinds of you know? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I to me, it's more positive than negative. <laughs> you know, like I've. And I don't want to say I'm more creative than anybody else, but, mm. but I seem to pick up things. I can read a book on, on something like psychology and all of a sudden, Hey, that relates to time management. You know, yeah. now if we did this and I'm, and I'm all doing that all the time, even with, uh, with now that I find out such a thing as HSP, I say, isn't it interesting? That sounds like a weakness of the executive skills because ADHD people, it's been known that it's a weakness of the executive skills, executive mm -hmm. functioning. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's this brain-based, you know, <laughs> skill yeah. uh, that they call emotional control is actually partly HSP. You, and if I can, yeah. if I can, if I can now develop that as I did the others, then I will get over this kind of thing, but I'm already over it. But I say that would be a lot easier way of doing it because I can, you know, sort of program my mind. And I think that's where things are going in the time management field is the battlefield is mm. no longer in the office. It's in the brain. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not the interruptions. It's our inability to, to, to deal with the interruptions, you know, so we could have, we got to manage ourselves and <laughs> forget about managing computers and other, and other people. Yeah. So. Yeah. The control, the, the, yeah. The opportunity is to control what we really can control, but we've kind of given over to response to being, um, re reactive rather than thoughtfully responsive. And I think in some cases, I, I, I feel like it's societal pressure for hustle culture and I mean, Nir Eyal writes about in Hooked and then later in his book, Indistractable, this relationship to technology and sort of re they're designed to pull you. I mean, a book beforehand, I think when books in the printing press came out, people would have been like, oh, get that book out of your hands. I mean, my niece now, she's coming to closer to 30 years old. And as a child, her, they, both of my niece and nephew, their, their nose was in books. And we would have thought, ah, oh. then it became the Game Boy. And then it became the electronics. The book never reached out and said, hey, come or read me. But yeah. now we've got intrusive technology that we have to put the barriers on. Absolutely. So there's, there's structural things we can do. But it's also to your point about, you know, making a decision to go get something. It can be, I think, this belief that I deserve to have that deep focus time. I'm going to put the bumpers in the bowling alley, the blinders on, and I'm going to create that for myself. 
Um, when you say though, you've, you know, you've, you've developed your brain, you've, you've overcome a lot of the sensitivity. Were there specific things, other things that you did to build greater tolerance, tolerance to that, those stimuli, for example? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know, not consciously, I guess. Uh, some I did really consciously, like I mentioned about the getting over the, the shyness and the inability to speak and so on. As you said, I had a purpose you know, yeah. in order to do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not that bothered that much by, uh, you know, if there's loud noise over there, it doesn't bother me. You know, okay. uh, I don't, uh, I don't seem to have that okay. characteristic. It's, it's more the, you know, the th things I've been mentioning about the self-consciousness yeah. and sensitivity and, yeah. you know, awareness of my own, uh, you know, deficiencies, I thought of that. You know, Elaine Aaron talks about high sensitivity as being a, a, a development of the species to have this sensitivity, to be aware of things, but everyone can't have it. So we are a subset of the population, but I think there's a next level in the highly sensitive community. And I think you might be one of them. I think my daughter's one of them. Yeah. Very sensitive. Yeah. Sensitive, but extroverted. <laughs> so, well, maybe, but, but I actually don't know. My daughter's introverted, I would say, but she has this incredible tolerance to stimulation in terms of noise. She will sleep through a fire alarm. And I'm like, yeah. you're at school, make sure a friend knows yeah. to wake you up if there's a fire alarm because that noise doesn't cut through. She can also take a lot of visual stimulation and feels actually quite comforted in abundance and just a lot of visual um, things going on. I, on the other hand, feel calmer when it's ordered. And I am, if there's extra noise, my brain actually shuts down processing. I can't have two people speak to me and filter one out. I, I just, I really, really struggle with that. So I think there's like next level sensitivity uh, where. Or maybe I haven't uh, been in areas where there has that, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like, you know, uh, although, see, I, I was in manufacturing and you get the you know, a 300 ton press banging out bathtubs, you know, <laughs> uh, then poof, 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 but you, you can block that out. That's becomes part of the background for me. It didn't, that never bothered me. That's fascinating. So I, I recently interviewed Andrea de Paiva, uh, and she's a neuroscience, uh, professor for architecture. And she was saying the science shows that people that live beside airports, for example, they end up tuning the sound out, but physiologically in the body. There are greater, it's stressful. Yeah. So I'm really curious about what we're able to actually minimize this, the physiological impact for. And I think, you know, returning to being centered and grounded and, and knowing how to bounce back. So my, my thinking as the, the science mind um, shows up for me is that we, if somebody, if somebody um, scratches their nails down a back blackboard and that oh, horrible I, sound. I stand okay. 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 You're with me on this. No, one. That's one thing I can't stand. I, I don't think I'll ever stop going, ah, but maybe I would be able to cultivate some skills to be able to stay in myself and minimize that. That's what I'm curious about is, is how can we minimize negative physiological effects from this outside stressor? And I'm dead curious about that part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, you know that, uh, you talked about it, it, it's stressful, even though maybe it's not, uh, it doesn't bother you, but it's bothering your system, your body system. Yeah. And yeah. I, I find that one thing that's really 
improved me in, in everything. It seems creativity and everything is walks in the nature, nature parks and nature walks. Yeah. Yep. And just being in nature, yeah. uh, and of course, I've read all the research on it too, and I've even written about it in terms of, you know, greenery in, your, in, the, in the office and so on. Uh, looking at, you know, a picture of nature. I have pictures on both walls there of, this is a floral thing, and that's a, uh, a forest over there, you know. Right. Right. I have to have a shout out to Tom Kugler because he's somebody I just did a LinkedIn sprint with. And he just shared the picture above his computer is it's of a fight if it's Conor McGregor, I think, boof, and there's a big fight. And I'm like, oh, what, what, what art is in your office? I'm like, oh, that's, that's a painting of a lotus flower, which is exactly the opposite. This is a painting by my dad. And uh, for anybody watching on YouTube, you'll be able to actually see that. But it's, it's just like, wow, what we have in our space is actually giving messages to our brain. Those wall murals from night, from the seventies, where we had splashes of actual, mm. you know, pictures of being out in the world in nature. They were actually, there was something to that. I think they're making a comeback in corporate spaces now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, even in, in your environment, like I've lived most of my life in, uh, not when I, I was a child, but all my adult life, I've lived in Toronto ever since uh, attending Ryerson. Mm -hmm. I've been in Toronto for 60 years or more. Yeah. And then I moved to Sussex, New Brunswick, population 4,000, surrounded by cows and cattle and fields. And uh, how does that feel? Wow. It's amazing. I'm just soaking it up. And I have been here now six years this September. I'll be here six years. Time flies, right? It sure yeah. does. Time flies when you're having fun. It also flies when you're not having fun. So have fun. But anyway, I'm just soaking up the environment and I do a lot of writing and I've written more books in that uh, six years that I've been here than I have in the last 60. Um, just since I've been here, I'm up to now 40 ebooks <laughs> since I've been here. So, <laughs> and, uh, I didn't get that many done in Toronto in, in, in working at them. So I feel I'm more productive here. That's amazing. Even though I'm, even though I'm retired. <laughs> well, so you bring me to think about, um, as we talked about in the, in the pre-interview, I think you've got, you've figured out a real recipe for a rich, fulfilling life. And one of the things that I noticed when we were talking was rich community in your life. So yes, prolific creator along the lines and following your interest and sharing your wisdom, but you've, you've maintained and built and grown in a new place, rich relationships. Can you, can you talk about the value of, of social connection for you? Oh my gosh. It's amazing. I've uh, always, you know, the, the trouble in the city and you're living in a condo, you're lucky if you know the person next door neighbor, you know, yep. I remember when we, when I was married, had a house, uh, uh, with the family and we never got to meet the neighbors until the fence fell down. And, and then, <laughs> you know, and then we, we talked, had a talk about building it mutually and stuff. We got to be good friends with them. Gee, they're, yeah. they're actual people, <laughs> yeah. but here, uh, it seems that in the small town, small community, everybody's friendly. Yeah. And I was really shocked when I walk going for my walk. Cause I walk a lot and, uh, not only would they not turn their head or ignore you. But they smile at you and say, oh, hi, I haven't seen you around. Uh, and, and they stop and talk to you, you know? Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. 
Yeah. And, uh, and relationships, of course, are healthy. People live longer. You can almost, they say they can almost extrapolate that the more friends you have, you know, the longer you live. And uh, I believe that too. I'm pushing 88 now, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I, I, I feel like I'm, you know, in my forties. So it, it, it is, it is, it is great. So I joined the friendship club, uh, yeah. as soon as I got here and worked my way to president, you know, <laughs> so as you do, yeah. I joined the chamber of commerce and worked in a, you know, at the board of directors, got on as a board of directors and stuff. And I did volunteer work at the sharing club, which is a food yeah. bank kind of thing. And, uh, yeah. And uh, just surround myself with people and at church, of course, and, uh, you know, now I'm doing writing devotionals every week for the church Yeah. Uh, as part of, because of now I'm, I'm writing. That's one of my big things now is I love to write. I found out. Oh, really? So, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so, uh, and it's just amazing, you know, this, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so you're surrounded by people who, you know, are friends, you know, if you have a problem, yeah. Like, and do you think as a highly sensitive person and reflecting on the sensitivity, I realized recently after I left my marriage and I realized there was so much social connection that just came from the construct of being in family, that living then on my own and I had to reestablish so much connection. And there was, I realized I had to I had to design it. I mean, Dr. Vivek Murthy is the Surgeon General in the U.S., the 19th and the 21st. After his 19th, uh, being the 19th Surgeon General, he toured America and he wrote a book called Together because he noticed the biggest health issue was lack of connection. And I'm, I'm just thinking this is just spur of the moment question. And we'll, we'll sort of end, I think, with this question is thinking about the relationship to others as highly sensitive people and how that affects, just generally affects our well-being. Yeah, well, uh, I think it does for sure. It's like you talk about, it's not something that's obvious on the surface, but it's oh. it's uh, compatible with your body fun bodily functions, you know? And uh, your, yeah. I know I've uh, have uh, high blood pressure, I think it was on uh, three, three uh, well, two medications, I guess, for it, uh, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And um, here I see the doctor and after, you know, after I've been here a year and settled and everything else, and he, he took me off one medication and said, you know, you don't need that and so on. Um, so I, I can see physiologically, uh, I, I, I am uh, in better shape now than I, than I was before, but I look the same, you know, same ugly muffin face. <laughs> Nothing ugly. I got, no, I got a big nose too. You see that, you know. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Let's. You turn left, Audrey. Like, like, let's. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to. Right. Yeah. There you go. YouTube. There. That's for you. They call me Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Harold. You know what? There was so much, so much in the way you live that has inspired me ever since I met you. And that's why I wanted to bring you not only to the, the NAPO podcast standout, but also to my listeners here in the Happy Space Pod uh, community, because you've, you've, you've mastered some beautiful ways of living. And I hope the listeners are really inspired by all that you've said today around, you know, embracing that sensitivity as a power, that noticing, that empathy, the compassion, turning it into action. And uh, connecting those dots, unleashing that creativity and growing as a person to be able to, to really offer those gift, gifts to the world. So deep gratitude uh, from me 
And I'm sure all our, all our listeners are celebrating as well. I want to thank you so much, uh, Harold, for taking the time to spend it with me and share these nuggets. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been fun, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Enjoy the, enjoy the rest of your sunshiny day in Sussex. Okay. And, and whether you believe it or not, give me a good valuation, will you? Because I'm sensitive in that area. <laughs> <laughs> you can count on it. You can count right. on it. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of the Happy Space Podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com. That is also where you'll find a link to our online community. Please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. And if you liked what you heard, please share. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space? Happy Space.